Welcome back to Dating Games, the Modern Relationships Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Temps, and our guest this week is a very stunning alien drag queen who crash-landed on Earth in 1962 and has since captured the hearts of humans around the world with distinct humor and charm. This is an invasion people buy tickets to. Yes, that's happening with an imminent UK tour. Please welcome Juno Birch. Hello, I have arrived. Yes, I'm in my pajamas looking very gorgeous and stunning today. How are you, my love? I love that even a dress down look for you probably takes hours to do. No, this this is five minutes. Oh, really? <laughs> what happened was I got up very early to get into drag and I was so shattered that I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to do a face mask and, and have a lounging day. We're only on Zoom, aren't we, darling? No, I love it. And I love that your face masks match your skin. It's just, it's branding all day. Thank you. Yes. Well, actually, this is foundation and this this is real skin. <laughs> yeah, so the face mask is just around the edges. Is that yeah. <laughs> and so give me some top notes before we get into it. What has your dating history been like pre-Mr. Birch? Pre, so I've been with Mr. Birch now eight years. So before then, I was a little bit of a slag when I was younger. So I didn't go on many, like, daisy dates. But then as soon as I met Kelly Billy, I've just sort of settled down, yes. Been a good girl. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> and so with that kind of experience, were you looking for relationships, like, before him? Or, you know, did he kind of come along and sort of change your mind on what you were looking for? Not really. I, I believe that when you're not looking for a relationship, that's when you end up getting into a relationship. So I was not looking for a relationship. I was just dilly-dallying around life and, and doing my own thing. But then we just kind of fell in love and it was gorgeous. We've been together for eight years solid. We've never broken up or anything like that. And yeah. And he's fun because we work as a team when we do, you know, shows and stuff like that. So we work together. We live together. We get sick of each other, but we still love each other. So how long of that time have you lived together? About six years, maybe. And was there much yeah. of an adjustment for him learning to live with a drag queen? Oh, yeah. Well, when we first met, I wasn't doing drag. So I started doing drag midway through our relationship, I think. And my drag has just slowly taken over the whole house. So Phil has a little box in the bedroom where he can pop some of his clothes, but the rest of it is just a whole wardrobe of drag. I love that. You That's really it. got him then. You just kind of snuck it in one week at a time and now, and now it's oh, too yeah. late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, while we dwell in the, the pre-Phil times, because I do want to hear about him because he sounds lovely and I've seen you on YouTube together and your dynamic is very sweet. But you have a story to share from the before times. Yes, I was probably about 19 years old. I think I was in I was in the BFI, you know, the the London Southbank Cafe thing. And he just asked for my number and I said, oh, yeah, you can have my number. And this is before all this happened, this drag, this alien stuff. So I was very, back then being transgender was very different than it is now. I transitioned very early. I wasn't as out and proud as being transgender back then. We went on a date like a couple of days later and I was dating this this very rich guy who's very stunning and he had lots of money and he actually did the soundtrack to the human centipede. That, I don't know why that was, that was. Is that what clinched it for you? You were like, that's the one for me. <laughs> but anyway, I went on this date with this guy, very gorgeous. He took me to the cinema. He whined and dined me, but I hadn't told him yet that I was transgender. So midway through the the, the credits in, in, in the film, I just said, I'm going to the loo. I'll be back in a minute. And I just left. 
And I feel really bad to this day that I left him on the date. But at that time, I was just too scared on, you know, sometimes you can sense if somebody's going to react badly. But I think the lesson I've learned is to just always be upfront about, you know, being trans. I think that's fair. I think it's also important, though, with that to trust your gut. I wouldn't want to, you know, discount the feelings. There must have been clues that you'd picked up on. So, you know, your safety still has to come number one. But I think you're right. There's not a perfect way to tell somebody, but holding off for too long isn't definitely yeah. isn't the way. <laughs> it was WhatsApping me after it, but I, I, I was horrible. I didn't reply to him or anything. And then that was it. But it was just at the time, I wasn't confident being a transgender woman. I was scared at the reactions that, that some people can have. But yes, that's one of my dating stories. <laughs> no, well, I could see it. And actually, you're far from the first person that's told me about, like, going to the bathroom and then running away. You didn't yeah. try and climb out a window like one of my past guests. No, I just casually strolled out the building. I think you left with slightly more dignity. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just delighted to meet a ghost in real life. And you've been hiding in alien drag ever since. Yes. Being transgender has changed a lot over the years because there's be this whole pressure of passing into society years ago. And people didn't even say the word transgender, people would say sex change. So it was a very old-fashioned thing. I think once people became more proud of being trans, that's when people being more transphobic, which is not nice. Yeah, this is it. With more visibility has unfortunately come more backlash. And I can find that particularly odd at times when so often you see, I'm doing debate in air quotes for the listeners, where there isn't a single transgender individual represented it's people talking about those who you know most people probably don't know someone as far as they're aware that's trans in their personal life don't have a trans friend and yet can often have very strong opinions on the right oh, of a group of people to exist honestly the transphobia has changed over the years so much i mean it used to be all about you going to hell you're disgusting you know you mutilated your body blah 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 and all that used to just go over the top of my head. But now transphobia is a lot more manipulative. And they'll use things like children or rapists or paedophiles to try and villainize us in some kind of weird way. It's very strange and very bizarre. Anyway, we're talking about dating. <laughs> yeah, and so by contrast then, how was it meeting Mr. Birch? How did that come about? Oh, it's lovely. Well, the thing is, I've always, I've always been a bit loopy and always been a bit, you know, socially awkward or a bit fast-paced and chaotic. But Billy really just, you know, he likes that about me because we have adventures. We, we love our relationship. It's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, I love that. And how did you meet? We met in a pub because I, I lived in London and then I came back up to live with my dad for a bit in Frodsham, a little village in the Shire. And I was going to the pub and Phil worked at the pub and it was very old fashioned. It was very, you know, we'd go out for a few drinks together and then we just started dating. Oh, very chill. Look, look at you having this. No grinder involved, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but this is nice because even when you sort of open the conversation by saying like, oh, isn't it when you're not looking for it? And I thought to myself, yeah, that's what everyone keeps telling me. But then also everyone's like, well, you've got to be open to it. You've got to keep looking. And I don't know what to believe. And yet you're here as the example of like, oh, organic relationships where you meet in person, they do still exist. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the thing is, I think people aren't as social anymore. Mm -hmm. 
So I think that's probably why they find it easier to meet people online. But I'm an old lady. I'm only 29, but you would think I'm about 57 because of the way that I talk and the way that I, that I behave. <laughs> so I am very old-fashioned in that way. No, I think I'm the same. Like from a scarily young age, people were calling me an old soul and I was there like, I'm a child, but okay. And I think that just meant I could talk to adults okay. But, you know, I think maybe sometimes when you've you've been through a lot of changes in your life and done a lot of figuring yourself out, that can kind of accelerate you getting to a point that a lot of people describe in their 30s where they care less and they feel more sure of themselves. So you, I think you've got a head start. Absolutely. And tell me this, have you been experiencing the thing that I have that seems like a recent phenomenon coming out of the pandemic, that everyone is 200% more flaky, and then I feel like the only old person being like, but we said this time, and I was five minutes early, as I should be. Oh, and I'm always on time. You mean, is that what you mean? Punctuality? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Everybody's always late, aren't they? Because I, I feel like there's stereotypes about drag queens, but I reckon you might be the exception. And this is the thing that I've learned with promoters and producers and all this thing when, you, when they're working with drag queens. They tell drag queens to get there at a certain time, but really they may in an hour later. Mm-hmm. But I always know this, so I arrive when I think they want me to arrive. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, yeah, this is it. Well, then you have to play the guessing game, and I'd rather people just tell me. And then just feel free to be mad at me if I'm late, but I'd rather know what time I actually need to be there. <laughs> yes. And I don't have to sit and wait in a wig. I mean, the nearest equivalent I have is doing modelling, where a lot of it is waiting around. But again, there's that expectation of we're not going to be there. And they'll get you to sit and be like, just sit in that exact chair so we can find you. <laughs> like, yay, I'm a child. And so yeah. eight years, it's a good chunk of time. Do you have any thoughts on kind of how you've made the relationship last so well and navigated anything that's come up? I think you just laugh a lot at things. I think it's important to just laugh every single day. If you don't piss yourself laughing at least once a day, then you're not living life properly, are you? But we just we just have fun and we don't take things too seriously. Like, we just, you know, we just, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I should be an agony aunt on this podcast, but really I don't fucking, I don't. I know, I'm here being like, I've never had an eight-year relationship. Tell me about it. And you're like, I don't know. Who could say? <laughs> Honestly, do we have to get feeling? Does one of you have a thought? A lot of people say that you shouldn't work together in a relationship, in the same job or profession. But for us, it's worked out really well because we enjoy our job so much. Phil works full-time as my assistant, so he travels everywhere with me. We don't really get on each other's tits that much. I don't know, it's just... <laughs> You say all this stuff like it's so easy, but I I mean, working and living with your long-term partner, that is quite an achievement. Like not everyone could navigate that. It maybe helps that, yeah, you have the same focus of like having fun and not taking life seriously because you'd need it. And is he quite happy with like the dynamic in terms of you being like the star of the relationship and the like instantly? Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. I don't think two attention seekers make one good relationship. Phil's not an attention seeker, whereas I am. So I think it works well in that way. I'm very dramatic. I'm very flamboyant. I'm very annoying. And I'm very loud. Whereas Phil's kind of the opposite. He's, he's more subdued and, and he's not attention seeking at all. So 
I can imagine it's hard having two drag queens in a relationship. Oh my God, I bet that's hell. Yeah, I mean, I the only ones that come to mind are like Sharon Needles in Alaska. And that was well documented as a dicey relationship. I, I think it's tough. I interview a lot of comedians and a good majority of them, I'd say, out and out will not date people in their profession because they're like, it's so competitive. Everyone knows each other. Everyone gossips. And it just makes for like a pressure cooker situation. Mm -hmm. Before you've even figured out your dynamic, you've got the the industry looking in on you whilst you're also competing for gigs and whatever else. Yeah, competition in a relationship must be awkward. And I think maybe that's part of the way that you make it work, that you know what your roles are, that whilst you work together, you have different parts of it, right? Yeah. I also think going back to the trans thing as well, dating in the past, because... Years ago, we're talking about maybe 13 years ago. I have no idea how long ago it was. But back then, I wasn't as proud of being trans. I wasn't as comfortable being trans. In my heart, I just felt like I was like a a biological woman. And it was like a thing almost to be embarrassed of. And I feel like that affected me in relationships when I was younger. Because I would be with a lot of straight men. So they would, they would, want to see me as a passing woman, quotation marks. Whereas now, I don't give a flying brown lump of poo what anyone would think of me. So that's why I think our relationship works now is because you have to love yourself before you love anybody else, in the words of RuPaul, which is very true. I think you're right. And it's interesting kind of getting that perspective because I think it has changed a lot. I hope that's for the better, that there's less pressure to hide your transness now oh yeah it's totally different now which is which is brilliant because we shouldn't have to be in in the closet about being trans we should be proud of it we should be proud of our journeys and and everything it's just times have changed so much for the better yeah i'd imagine that could lead to a lot of feelings of being an imposter that you're prescribing to know I'm a woman and I need to look a certain way that nobody kind of asks any questions and what if you know what if people do find out and what if this is a secret I can't keep yeah I mean for me it was very scary and I think it was in college in Manchester where I went to Sheena Simon campus and I went to that college without a single person knowing that I was transgender so it was there was always talk about transgender people in the class, but they didn't know that I was sat there listening to everything without knowing that I was transgender. So it was quite scary because it was hard to not know when was the right time to tell people. And then I think at the end of the, the course, I just was like, do you know what? I'm a big old transgender. <laughs> I, I just kind of, over time, as I've grown up, I've learned to be very proud of it. I love that. And what was the reaction like? Some people were shocked. Some people were saying, oh, so that's why your voice is deep. You know, <laughs> And you were like, I don't know what you mean. Yeah, I don't have any idea what you mean. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's funny as well. Like if I go to like, if I'm on holiday and I'm in, in the restaurant in my bikini or something, and there's one time where the waiter had come up to me in Philly and said, oh, I love your deep voice. It's, it's very nice. Are you a singer? You have a husky voice. It's very nice. And I'm like, no, I'm just a tranny. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, you can't cancel me because I can say that word. 
Yeah. No, I love that because I'm very yes and. I think I would have been like, sure, I'm a singer today. I do that if I'm ever in a taxi and they, for some reason, they'll love to like guess your profession. And I'm like, sure, yeah. I can cosplay as that for this journey. <laughs> <laughs> but is that still something you, you think about? Get self-conscious of your voice or, you know, are you personal? Yeah, well, when I was young, so I was transitioning, was on hormones and hormone blockers and such. And... I really didn't like the way my voice sounded because in my head, that's not what it sounded like. It was vibrating in my throat and it was something I was very insecure about. So when I was younger, I talked very high pitched. I, I, was, I would squeeze my voice and constrict my belly so that I sounded really feminine. And, and then I, I just got to a point in my life where I actually just don't care anymore. I've got to a point in the transition where I've, I've been very, very comfortable for so many years with my body. I've had genital reassignment surgery. I've had homotherapy and that's it. I've just got to a point where I'm, I'm comfortable. And because I do drag as well, a lot of people sometimes presume you're a man anyway under it because they, they've got this misconception that all drag queens are men. But I just don't care anymore. I just don't care. <laughs> I think that's the thing. I don't, I don't care what people think of me anymore. Yeah, you see, that's great. You know, I think... I'm in a place where I hope kind of more people get to where maybe it's just because I know a lot of drag queens. People's voices aren't necessarily something I'm scrutinizing in that way because I'm used to like the stereotypes are kind of far past disproved for me. And also that's never been the case. And this is, you know, something I look forward to as, you know, trans representation increases and more acceptance spawns is like there are advantages for all women. You know, because there are women of all backgrounds with deep voices who probably get all kinds of weird questions. In the same way, like I said all the time, like I still find it odd that like sexuality is such a like common question of like, if you're not looking to date me, what is what is that question for? And I do think we'll get to a point and I see that in a lot of the younger generation where they're a lot more kind of fluid and open and like they all seem to be bi-curious. And I remember when we were younger, that was something you rounded down on. If you thought you were bi-curious, you'd say you were straight. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, I've had an experience, you yeah. know? And if you were bisexual, maybe you'd say, oh, I'm bi-curious. Yeah. And they, we've been brought yeah. up to put everything in a box, haven't we? Yeah. And I'm from the planet Who Gives a Fuck. I was wondering which one it was. Yeah, it's called Who Gives a Fuck. But I just think, yeah, we're all brought up to put things in boxes, aren't we? It's what humans do for some strange reason. I've always wondered why humans do this. But I think gradually we're learning not to have to put things in a box. And, you know, who cares? Like, just do whatever you want. Like, I I think gradually the human race needs to learn not to care about what's in someone's pants or what someone sounds like or, you know. Let's just go to the cinema and watch a film. Let's all just bake a cake made out of rainbows and smiles and we can all eat and be happy. Yeah, that's all we want. Just cake. That's the problem we should be coming on to is uh, making cakes that taste as delicious but are healthy. Let's solve the important problems. Well, funnily enough, my darling, I don't like cake. I've never liked cake. So Now, you now you've crossed the line. <laughs> well, I'm a very savoury woman. I'm a very salty bitch. But when I was a child, I, didn't, I never ate my birthday cakes. I didn't like too much sweet things. So, and I loved seafoods as a child. And my mum, instead of making me a birthday cake, she made me a prawn cocktail and a Sunday glass and put candles in it. 
And all the kids at my birthday party were all screaming, going, oh, it stinks. And I was, you know, I was a very sophisticated child. And, and alien from day one, just really doing your own thing. I love it. That's, that's such a good visual. When you were growing up, how much did you kind of soak up a certain amount of like expectations around relationships when you were younger? Like, did you have an idea of like what your kind of quote unquote happily ever after might be? Or did you not have a kind of fixed idea at all? Not really, because I, I was so confused when I was younger. I was so confused because when I learned that I liked men, the your instant reaction is back then is to go, well, I'm gay. But then it just progresses into like sex and relationships and everything. And it just, it, it didn't work for me sexually to be a gay man having sex. It, it was just so uncomfortable for me. So I didn't know. When you say uncomfortable, you mean in terms of like gender dysphoria there, that you were yeah. just like, it doesn't feel me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had partners where I, they knew I was transgender, but they never seen my downstairs because I never wanted to show it. Wow. So, so they, people they were, you were with with for like a period of time even? Yeah. I mean, I was in a long relationship when I was, when I was a teenager and he was straight and I was trans and I'd, you know, I'd not gone through the whole transition that I wanted to go through yet. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think deep down he was probably comfortable with me being like that, but for me... I was not comfortable with the, the front part of me being shown in joint sex and stuff. It just, I couldn't use that part of my body. And that's why it was never a question for me to ever get surgery because I never used that part of my body and I couldn't because the, the dysphoria was so bad. But, but all transgender people are completely different. Some people don't need surgery. Some people are happy without all hormones, without surgery. You know, everybody's different. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, we just need to do better as a society of trusting people to their lived experience like I, I also have a mental health podcast and you know how much stigma would be eradicated around mental health if people were just like oh that's how you're feeling okay I'm I'm cool with that we're not going to react badly we're not going to question you we're not going to ask if that's real like it's it's a strange thing where is the where is the live and let live path yeah. gone I appreciate you sharing that with me because it it must have been such a strange experience even to like have people that like were attracted to you and were accepting of you in like the form that you currently were in. And yet you yeah. were like, no, this isn't right. And, you know, oh, it, yeah. I, I think to an extent, everyone has parts of that. And it's, you know, navigating like what version of us are we going to be okay with and how much of that is making changes and how much of that is the hard one, like acceptance. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I think as well, is the transgender women, from my experience, that they're fetishized so much so that sometimes you, you don't know if the relationship is just a fetish or, you know, that kind of thing. So that was my experience when I was younger, but I was not comfortable with that. Good on you, like, you know, resisting that pressure because there's, there's a lot of it out there. And, like, this is something that worries me in terms of, like, people's sex lives a lot, like, particularly, like, younger people and certain gaps in sex ed around consent of like how many people are out there getting into situations they don't feel comfortable with, or maybe they think they don't have a choice. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's really, really worrying. worrying. And, and, you, you know, know I'm reminded of, of Juno Dorset, who I've interviewed before, you know, and she's... Uh, yeah, I think I follow her on, on Twitter, yes. 
I, I know you two would get on. She's great. She does a, I think she does a monthly show in Brighton. If you want an excuse to be like, let's be friends slash give me a gig. I love Brighton. <laughs> I mean, that's what half the reason I love interviewing people. I get to meet so many cool people. And this is something that she's written about is she's, you know, primarily a novelist about wondering if as a trans woman, she ever would find a long-term relationship, if there ever would be someone that really accepted her and that she could feel yeah. confident, like they like me for, for me and not an idea of me or not a fetishized version. And maybe by no coincidence, she's similarly found a partner that's just very chill, like Mr. Birch seems to be, that's just kind of yeah. open-minded, down to earth, and just kind of happy to love and be loved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think as well, I, I relate with that a lot. When I was younger, I, I, you think being a transgender person, you think, oh my God, no one's, who's going to be into this? But there is always somebody out there that will, that will love you. Always multiple people, plenty of fish in the sea. And as we start to wrap up then, we need to choose our rules of the game. So do you have a bit of advice for people out there dating? My advice would be, the rules, basically, tell yourself that you're absolutely stunning and you are absolutely gorgeous because I think we all just need to have a bit of confidence. I don't know what I'm saying now, but... No, I'm with it so far, yeah. Basically, I'm just going to be RuPaul. You have to love yourself before you can love somebody else. That's basically the rule for a good relationship. I would say, you know, you are gorgeous. And you just have to tell yourself that you're gorgeous and anyone is lucky to deserve you. Yes. I think that's such a good point. And I would add that, you know, specifically there with like accepting compliments is a big part of that, that I think a lot can be gained by practicing. Like if you can practice believing compliments from yourself, then you're actually going to accept it. You're actually going to believe it from other people because I'm someone yeah. I throw out compliments like dollar bills i love to compliment people you know even if i'm like walking past someone that's like taking a, a selfie in a great outfit i'll compliment the outfit there are people that respond to that very well and there are people that don't know what to do with that and i i think there's a lot to be gained from believing the compliments that people are you know earnestly giving us but sometimes that does take practice to believe it well delusion is the key to confidence yeah think it till you make it absolutely I mean, if you feel like a piece of dog shit, tell yourself that you're stunning a million times in the mirror and you believe it so. Reverse body dysmorphia. Just You start looking in the cat's litter tray and you're like, wow, beautiful, uh, tasty. I'm not the one for advice, really. I mean, oh, God. I dress like agony ass, but I'm not really. <laughs> no, I, you know what? I think, you've, I think you've got it figured out. And I'm, I'm going to add one that's kind of inspired by you as well. Because through this conversation, I've been reminded of how we've got to like take people as they are, you know, as much as there can be labels. And I think there can be a certain amount of pressure in dating to think of like, okay, what do you want to write your list, but don't make it too long. Don't be too picky. Like, I don't know how much I buy into that stuff because ultimately we're all distinct individuals. And so is it really that you're looking for a blonde or are you more importantly looking for someone that's kind to you? and that you get on with, and that makes you laugh, and all these things that actually take you through a long-term relationship. Yes, Blonde looks absolutely. the same every day. I don't think that's what you build a house on. Lovely. lovely. Now, now it sounds like I'm coming for blonde people, <laughs> and you often wear blonde, but I hope you get my point. 
it's fine. It's in the rollers. It's hidden from my uh, my critiques. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, the roots are being grown through because I'm going bald. Or I'm going bald. I've just got patchy hair because I wear wigs all the time. Oh really? So you're going back to your natural color? Yes, growing it all out, and then I'm going to get it done gorgeously, beach blonde like Pamela Anderson. I love that. I've seen that as a bit of a trend with drag queen friends of mine. That it's it's like the more confident they get in the drag career, the more they look like themselves out of drag. It's an interesting thing that like really yeah no I've noticed this trend because like obviously people like Rue talk about like the confidence that you have. It's not created by drag. Drag helps you unlock it. Drag That's gives you a mask true, yeah. to perform behind. And in doing so, you can be like, oh, this is my confidence muscle. I can access this more the rest of the time. Yeah. And, and that seems to be a bit of a thing that the, a lot of friends of mine, the more they do the drag, the more they find the confidence in it, the more they want to be like, okay, well, I'm not. I mean, some of it is probably exhaustion, let's be honest, is like they don't want to make as much of an effort out of drag. They're like, this is how I look. This is what my hair grows oh, yeah. like, this color out of my head. I want to dress like Bob regular. I look like Gollum out of drag most of the time. I look like pure Gollum, honestly, but stunning Gollum. But I think what I've learned over the years is to look after myself more out of drag because it's got to the point sometimes where I'm in my pajamas 24-7 with my hair scrubbed up with no makeup on. And it's because I'm in drag so much, I don't even want to do anything to my appearance when I'm out of drag. So I've learned to sometimes be kind to myself out of drag and do you put a little bit of lip balm on or something or a bit of concealer just to make myself feel more awake? Because when you're on tour as well, you, 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 you're always out of makeup when you're not in drag because your skin is falling up. But yes, yes, yes. No, I, I think that makes sense. I mean, I know the influencers are all up to that, that like what you see on Instagram is not what they look like 24-7. You know, they are... Oh, no. <laughs> they are comfy little beanie babies in their bedroom outfits the rest of the time. And you've hit on something really key there of like looking after yourself, having that reminder of like, okay, the cameras aren't on, I'm not on a stage, but that doesn't mean I'm I'm less important. Like the me yeah. behind the performance in the same way, like the me when you're not at your office job. We've got to look after ourselves. You know, for me, that's been a big thing in relationships is by learning to look after myself, I figured out how I like to be treated. Because what it turned out to be wasn't what I assumed at all. You know, some some might argue it's now gone too far, and that's part of the reason I'm single. That I'm now, quote-unquote, too <laughs> independent, but I'm doing just fine, I so... Think, I think with relationships, people just think too much about it. Too, they think too much about what they want or what they don't want. Or, Sounds for me. You, you know, what they're going to do when they're on the date, or, you know, just do it. Just shut up and do it this is something that I'm increasingly trying to lean out of in my platform is as much as it's kind of fascinating to get people's advice and ideas on like you know this is the ultimate kind of thing to say or here's the best kind of first date you know a lot of that is I think a smoke screen because the best date is when you feel comfortable on where you like the yeah. person sat opposite you like there isn't a perfect restaurant no matter what you know whatever London PR team might tell you you know? <laughs> yeah, first dates, it's not about the restaurant. It's about people oh, wanting to be it. there. Mine and Philly's first date, we went to, I think we went to Yo Sushi. And it was funny because Philly, Philly was like, oh, I love sushi, da, da, da. And he started eating the edamame beans, but he was eating the skin. 
And I just, oh, I'm just like, oh, I like, you're funny. Was there a plot twist there? Did it turn out he was just pretending to know about sushi and, and that kind of food for you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, see, I love that. Yeah. Bless him. That's very cute. See, I'm the problem in a different way where I love to go to Wagamama's on dates. And yes, I love the food. Is there also a part of it that's like, I get to show off that I can use chopsticks and no no other fucker in Ireland seems to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it sounds like a great dynamic. What's it been like deciding for him to be like in front of your audience because you've like had him on your YouTube a few times now. And I know like some people like Trixie spent a long time where she just kept her partner like off social media, off everything. Was that yeah. like a, a conversation for you two? No, not really, because he doesn't really like that much attention drawn to him. But because we always do these gigs together and everything, I think he's gotten used to being around loud, screaming drag queens all the time. Mm. So he's, it probably built, built up a bit more confidence in him to, to be around loud people all the time. And he's just started doing YouTube as well himself. So he's doing like gaming videos on his YouTube channel, which, which is lovely. You might see me, one day you're going to see one of his gaming videos of me half in drag, just walking in the back of the bedroom looking for knickers, like. <laughs> but yes, two YouTubers in a house. <laughs> yeah, I know I love that. That'll be a fun scandal when we come across it. And so as we start to wrap up then, talk to me about this upcoming tour. Yes, so the Juno show is what I'm currently in nearly finished writing it. It's absolutely insane. And it's going to be touring the UK in June for four special dates in theatres. And then we're going to be going to America and Canada in, in July and August. So it's going to be very, very fabulous, very gorgeous. It's very different from my last tour that I did because last tour was probably song talking, song talking, whereas this is more of a, a show with a narrative. It's a very theatrical production. It's kind of like Rocky Horror Picture Show meets The Muppet. See, I was going to ask this when you said writing it, so it's a full, like, theatre production. Yeah, well, uh, it's a one-woman show still. I mean, it's not got loads of people in or anything like that, but we do have little two, little thing one and thing two assistants, actor, dancers, assistant kind of thing in the show. Yes, and I can't wait to see people laugh and be stupid on stage again. Because my favourite thing about being about doing drag is being on stage. I know I do a lot of YouTube and online stuff, but my heart is always in the performing and the stage. Yes. I love that. And you, I mean, you're very good at it. I came across recently a video of you performing a viral clip from RTE where, do you, do you remember the one where it's a weather report? RTE is the Irish news channel. Oh, yes. Oh. I, I promise I haven't made this up. <laughs> <laughs> it was in Dublin. Yeah. And I did... Don't take risks, because I was doing it on stage a lot anyway, because I absolutely obsessed with that video. But I did it when I was in Dublin. But what was really good is that everybody knew every word to it. So the whole crowd was saying it along with me, which is hilarious. I see that posted on, like, the, the original version. I see it posted on Twitter, like, all the time. Anything, anytime anything kicks off here in Ireland, that's the clip people go with. And if anyone's, like not internationally not sure basically it was a news reporter talking about this horrible storm and it's very like show don't tell because she's in the storm and she's there like screaming into the microphone don't make unnecessary journeys don't swim people are still swimming and and it was fun for me because where she was reporting from in Galway 
has a similar name to where I live. And I had to like double check and be like, they're not down there now, but other side of the country. And fun thing, you who knows, you may even perform it again because you are back in Dublin. We'll get to you before the tour on the yes, 24th of I'm March. March the 24th in Dublin. I've done my research. If you want it, if the listeners wanted evidence that we can't hear each other on the Zoom, I said the date. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to be back in Dublin. Because I remember last time I was in Dublin, I was doing Drag Dot with Tori Secret and Silky Nutmeg Ganache. And because of the, the, the COVID thing was going wild at the time, so we had to go to, to a 2,000-seater venue. But this time we're going to be in the in the proper venue. Yeah, there. that's how you got around the rules, right? Is have like a, a venue that's way too big, and and somehow that crazy. passed the weird rules we had here at the time. Yeah, still don't get some of them. Anyway, as we 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 will wrap up. I just have to ask you one more question because we've talked about Rue a few times. I'm sure you're asked all the time. Would you ever be on the show? I know I'd um, love to see it. I'm biased. Well, I, I am on season five. <gasps> Are you being? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, we're going to... I thought you were doing a bit for a second. No, mate, it's it's not going to go any further. Don't I'm joking. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I hate you. It's called acting. Now we're going to have to leave that in. And the listeners are going to have 10 seconds of thinking that I didn't crop it out. <laughs> okay, Pete, you're going to have to leave all of that in now. You're a menace. Basically, I I would love to go on Drag Race because I love... I would love to do Snatch Game. I would love to do the acting challenges and the comedy challenges. But I wouldn't pass the side test me. I'm a crazy bitch. I would. Well, this, I, I wondered, because your, your drag is so subversive, I wondered if it's something where you're like, would I go in that? Because, you know, certain people like Karen from Finance, I love. I don't necessarily know if her character fit it. You know, you'd probably have to, like, delve out of it in certain ways, right? Well, the thing is, I feel like, me as a person, I'd, I'd probably be fine on it. I don't have to change anything. I'd probably just have to show a bit more versatility on the runway. I think that's the only thing that would be something for me to think about. But to be completely honest, I'm just waiting for RuPaul to call me to ask Personally. to be a guest. Yes. <laughs> All right, on that note, we'll wrap up there. Thank you so much. Of course, my darling. Thank you. And to play us out, I'm going to include the audio from that clip we were just talking about and if you want to see it i'll include a link in the episode description so here's juno birch as an rte news presenter are still blowing in off the atlantic ocean here but really this is all about the rain i'll <laughs> the advice don't make unnecessary journeys For the full experience, you can join our subscription on Apple Podcasts to access extended ad-free episodes. Our show is edited and produced by Pete Murta. The music is Digital Damage by me, Emma Becco. We're proud to be an independent production. And leaving a quick review is another way to support the show. Speak to you next Friday. Until then, good, good luck, luck out, out there. there.